0: Welcome to the Campus Experience with Josh Farr. This podcast explores the fascinating world of student leadership with a focus on clubs and societies, as well as ambassadorial, entrepreneurial, and leadership programs. I'm your host, Josh. This audio experience also documents my journey building campus consultancy. With unprecedented demand for our first of its kind program, I'll show you how I'm realizing the potential of connected and empowered student communities by building Australia's most recognized entrepreneurial leadership program. Thank you for joining and enjoy. Today, I welcome our next guest, Jacob Messina to the campus experience. Jacob is one of 13 board directors of the University of Sydney Union, a not-for-profit body looking after more than 50,000 students, staff and alumni, and who are responsible for the financial management and allocation of more than $29 million. Prior to this role, Jacob was the president of the Sydney Arts Student Society, the official faculty club for arts and social sciences students at the University of Sydney. If you're a regular listener, you'll be familiar with Michael Hester, the University of Melbourne Arts Student Society president. So today from beautiful Sydney, we're hearing another perspective on what it takes to lead one of the largest student societies on campus, as well as hear all about Jacob's other leadership roles and experiences. Jacob, thanks for taking the time to speak with me and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate it. To start off with a bit of a throwback, your leadership journey very much looks like it started well before university. You were the president of the North Sydney Boys High Student Representative Council and went on to be school captain. Who was most influential in your formative years, guiding you towards leadership roles?
1: That's a very good question. Uh, I think I took, I mean, I took inspiration from, from all around me and I was a big fan of, you know, biographies and I remember, you know, Nelson Mandela's uh, biography was a a big influence on me as a kid. Um, But in terms of my motivation for leadership, I think it was, it was self-driven and I I guess I'll have to credit my parents mostly uh, because one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned that I think drove me towards those kind of experiences was the idea that as a young person, you have so many opportunities around you especially you know how lucky we are in australia and in sydney um and every opportunity is a learning experience and i just wanted to learn as much as possible uh and when it came to leadership it was i saw it as one of the greatest things i could do as as a way to serve the communities around me so even from back in primary school um you know you get those there's srcs there and i was school captain at my primary school as well and when I stepped up into North Sydney Boys, it was completely different experience as a selective school that, that drew kids from from all around. Um, and I, you know, I was going into that sort of thinking I'd be small fish big pond kind of situation from where I'd come from um, as a as a primary school kid. Um, but the opportunities there and and their kind of model about, you know, encouraging and empowering young men to be all-rounded and and give back to their communities, I really latched onto. So in in answering a question, I think the drive for that leadership was not only sort of those external role models, but also the the values that my parents drove into me and my environment around me that I think really, um, you know, empowered me, I think, to, to take on those opportunities.
0: It's really interesting in talking with leaders when they talk about the line between or sometimes the symbiosis between their personal values and the values of an organization or the values mm. of, a lead, of a leader. What values do you think have served you particularly well as a leader?
1: Ah, that's a tough question. I think service is a value that I put before almost all else. In, in my eyes, if you have the capacity to contribute positively to the world around you, you have a responsibility to do that and a responsibility to serve those that are maybe less fortunate. Uh, but at, at the same time, you know, taking it out of a, you know, that might be a more specific charitable or nonprofit profit context. You know, if you have ideas that you can contribute or implement that might might help, that is as a great thing to take part in. Other values for me are balance, um, which I know is a sort of a recurring theme um, throughout what, what do you want to talk about, which I think is great. I've always thought that I'd like to really maintain that balance. I think that's the healthiest way to to live life to the fullest. And my final thing I think I'd add is just is resilience and persistence Uh, is life, you know, can be tough and there are challenges all around. But if you put your values and your ideas and and your opinions sort of at the forefront and push through with them and have faith in yourself, then I think you can achieve great things.
0: That's amazing. It's really interesting that you say that. And my, I wish you could have seen me right now. My eyes just lit up when you said, sort of, it's all about service. We work with student leaders and run training programs, nearly 900 students in the last six months from unis all over the country. And we teach this like seven hour long training program for most of them, right? (laughs) Yeah. The the first hour and a half is literally the first slide says leadership is service. And the whole idea is thinking about how you add value and trying to instill. In this kind of emotional intelligence, practical empathy way that if you can be empathetic with others and really understand them and their problems, then mm. you can try to solve their problems, which yeah. is service, and then yeah. they they will come to you from like a place of appreciation and respect. Digging a little bit deeper into that high school experience before we move on, while I was doing my research, I was reading all about the, the amazing things you were doing. Uh, I read an article that you recently, I believe, you were interviewed for your school magazine, mm-hmm. and in the interview you really encourage young people to firstly get involved at school, yeah. which I thought going right back to year sevens, like that's the key. I think that that'll be a theme. Firstly, get involved, but secondly, to also find balance. So mm. how do you balance so much that you've got going on, mm. given that you're involved in so many things? How do those ideas come together?
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the ultimate question I think is, is balance. Um, and I think, I mean, from the outset, I'll say, uh, I, I, have, I have a weird thing that sort of keeps on recurring when I, when I think about, you know, big abstract concepts like this. And it's the way that, you know, I, d- I don't think anybody can ever achieve perfect balance. I don't think it's one of those sort of innards that it's always going to escape you, but the whole point is to strive for it. Like it's an aspirational goal rather than, because if you achieve balance, there'd sort of be no point doing anything else. Like you've, you've reached that, that perfect zen. So balance is a thing that I don't think I'm happy to say that I've ever fully achieved because I think that's, that's, crazy, but it's something I'm always striving for because I know that in striving for balance, I am able to, you know, not tick all the boxes as such, but that's when I feel most happy and most content with where my life is going or where it is at that point in time. First, you've got to have a clear understanding about what you are balancing. You know, for me, obviously, physical health, mental health, I mean, academic uh, academic sort of strength, um, my family, my friends, um, my faith, are really important things for me to do. and if you have that strong foundation, you can you'll find that you're able to to achieve you know and those ideas that might just sort of pop into your brain about oh my gosh, like maybe I could do, run this initiative or or you know if you're in one of those leadership positions in high school or even at university, you know maybe we could run this event and it'll be so much better. you' you're able to see that not only do those ideas come clearer to you, but you're able to plan them or you're able to act on them and you know manage all the stakeholders that might might take part. Um, in that process. So balance to me is not just you know, foundation, that that's the crucial aspect, but it also needs to translate into everything you do in your life. Practically the way of, of my of achieving balance in my life is Google Calendar is an absolute sort of, you know, is, is is my Bible. I need to keep everything in track so I know I'm not missing any meetings and I like to color code all my different events. But um you know, it is also about planning and sitting down at the end or the beginning of each week and just going, what do I need to do and, and how am I going to do this? Um, what I found about two years ago, in about my second year of university, everything was getting a bit, a bit hectic and um, it was over, overwhelming, I guess. I looked at my sort of build calendar, of the way I was sort of structuring everything and found that everything was piling on top, but I also I hadn't set any time aside for myself. Um, and I'm very proud of this moment. it's so small, but I decided to sort of insert a new you know a new color block sort of thing that was just sort of my personal time into into how I was scheduling things. And that actually, even though you might think, oh, but you know you're taking time away from from achieving things or, or working on things, um it made so much of a difference, even just changing your mindset to say that I am consciously going to set time aside for myself so I can take care. Um, and that actually meant that the projects I was working on became a lot clearer because I wasn't frantically trying to chase things down. So I think, um, yeah, as you referenced in that article, getting involved in things is is so, so important, especially as you, you know, in year seven, year eight, because although everyone says, you know, marks and that kind of stuff are important, really you have so much free time, do things, learn things, change, challenge things or whatever, um, but really make sure that you look back and think what is required for me to feel balanced um whether that be you know your your physical your mental health or or or, you know spending time with your family because you'll find that in hindsight when those things drop away those are the things you regret
0: so much wisdom in what you just said i love the idea of color coding the calendar (laughs) my i I I actually shared a post about a month ago on linkedin i screenshot my calendar for the week and it looked like a rainbow yeah 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 and it's dialed from like 7am to 11 o'clock at night, just that one week, you know, it's not, that's not sustainable long-term. Um, no, no. I love the idea. I just want to ask one more quick clarifying question there. What color do you use for your personal time?
1: My personal time is, I think it's like a dark gray. Mm. Yeah. Um, mostly because I think all the other colors were used up, to be honest. Um, they, you know, <laughs> you know, they usually offer like quite some bright colors. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then my family, my family's a dark purple and then, um, and then my personal time is, yeah, a, a dark gray.
0: For sure. And I think when I, when I color coded, I, I got all the way to dark gray the other day. And I, it's funny yeah. when you use it because you wouldn't naturally. Uh, I normally be like, meetings are fun. So I make them purple. It's, it's, I I'd use it for the contrast. So for people who are listening who don't use Google Calendar, for me, it's such an unlock. One, because you've got it in your phone at any time. Mm. Two, because I use it to manage my energy. So I know mm-hmm. that certain things take more energy than others. This was like a huge learning for me and it particularly came from different roles where I was really people facing. And then half my job mm. was doing back-end work because I knew that it, when I met people, like I'm a bit of a morning person, I'm really great in the morning, a high energy. I mean, we're recording this at 9am on a Saturday. Um, so if you're listening, we woke up work early on a Saturday. to. to um, <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Yeah. You know? But like, I know I'm better in the morning. And I know that like, until I like fix some diet stuff, the early afternoon wasn't good for me. So by color coding, I was able to go, okay, I've got lots of, lots of purple today, so lots of face-to-face meetings. So I really need to be on it. Um, mm. I'll schedule them in the morning. So once I got better, I'd be looking at my weeks. I'm like, good. The morning's stacked with interactions. That's how I like it. The afternoon, yeah. I've got like creative time or data time or like strategic time. Yeah. And yeah. as soon as I had that visually represented, I'd go through a week. And if, the, if I felt like my energy was high, I could look back on the week and be like, all right, I did something right then. What was it?
1: Yeah. 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 And I think as well, I mean, the the final thing that I like to do, and I'm, I've only just started doing this, but also almost like a bit of an audit. Like you get to the end of like a month or something, and you go like, wow, that was a packed month. Like, oh, my gosh. Or maybe you didn't achieve the goals you set out to go. And I'll look back on the month and i be like, oh, my gosh. I like I went out and had like like this social interaction so often, which isn't a bad thing. But I sort of go, oh, maybe I need to, you know, exams are coming up. Maybe I need to pair that kind of ratio back of the proportion of what I'm doing. So... It's sort of the, the way it tracks everything and going forward. So I think that's really handy.
0: To round this out and move us on, I loved how you said balance was something that, to paraphrase, but something that we're always striving towards, but no one ever achieves. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's a quote from Zen Buddhism that says something like, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. And what they're saying there, the meaning behind that is like the idea of becoming enlightened, of really becoming one, of having perfected, like, like pull, taking away the ego and becoming that higher self. Yeah, that if you meet that person, kill them because they don't really exist. Absolutely. Well, I mean, like
1: the whole, I mean, the, my, my understanding of the core tenet of Buddhism is sort of that life is a struggle, right? And, yes. and to some, some people read that really negatively. Um, and I can see why your, you know, your first instinct would be to do that. But I think that's one of the whole purposes of why that's so, so inspiring is the idea that, you know, if you, could, if you achieve true happiness, nothing, you wouldn't be happy. Because and there's nothing else to go like for, for me the joy is that that struggle and that is the ups and downs because you can't have an up without having a down, um and uh yeah so so absolutely um it's it's a really really important lesson um I also like there's a there's a quote that I think I've, I've butchered over the years but one of them is you know aim for the heavens and reach the stars um yeah. and again you know some people sort of read that but like oh my gosh but like that means you'll never get to the heavens and it's like well, that's not the point. The point is you are going above yourself and going bigger and better and the stars are still a beautiful place to be that have so much sort of knowledge and wisdom in there. So uh, I always try and try and think of that because I think it's both a humbling thought as well as an inspirational thought, which is what I really enjoy.
0: So when you get to university, there are obviously lots of opportunities to get involved. Yeah. How did you pick out of a plethora of options which clubs societies initiative mentoring programs how did you find your way so that you could distribute your energy and your time but also get the most out of that experience I mean I'll be honest and say it wasn't exactly you know
1: targeted as such and especially if you've had that kind of enjoyable leadership or even just a taste of it during high school you're the kind of person that goes into university o-week and like I did and I just sort of I read registered for as many clubs and societies as possible um and <laughs> completely at
0: odds with the philosophy which in hindsight you have now right it's like i'm gonna do yeah.
1: everything <laughs> <laughs> well i think okay well my the science and my, my logic behind it was um that of course i was a bit over eager and like oh my gosh university is this mind-blowing opportunity and especially i mean if anybody has or hasn't hasn't been to the sydney uni o week like it's pretty mental i'm sure everyone else's is um as well but um you know we have over 200 clubs and, and they all deck it out for example and so I you sort of walk through and be like oh yes chocolate society and oh yes you know book club and all that kind of thing which which I really enjoyed and then my logic was though I'd sign up for all of them and then I'd get all like the Facebook invites the email notifications and then from there I could sort of pick out or, or weed out what I wanted to do so you know and and potentially you know if it, if it was a different I may have ended up you know president of the book club because that would have been fun as well but I happen to stumble <laughs> into other opportunities in, in terms of I guess you know how I came about to the opportunities I wanted like obviously a lot of it is that external environment so where my friends were going where I'd had you know people that I knew were a year or two ahead of me um that I really enjoyed and got to know sort of over maybe during high school or or during the start of university who you know told me that oh this is a really fun society or here is the best you know that that society's got the best Wednesday afternoon drinks which I was you know a big fan of I had a free time on Wednesday so I don't think there was any sort of ulterior motive to be like from the beginning art society is the place to be but yep. where I ended up as as president I, w- I was vice president of the art society in, in my first at the end of my first year um, which was you know pretty quick to become on the executive art society so early but that's the way it ended up which I was pretty happy with and then president the year after that I think was more just um, you know I went and because Art Society is like one of those big faculty societies, so any art student is is a participant. And I went on my first year arts camp, which was just completely wild experience and great. And then from there, sort of just fell in love with the idea that a society can cater to such a huge and diverse community. And there was also this bit of a thing, you know, there's the Law Society and the Engineering Society, and they're all pretty ingrained and and well-founded because, of course, every law student wants to be part of the Law Society. But arts, like we're so diverse and we have everything from, you know, gender studies to to Arabic studies to government and international relations that it was really hard for us to pull together an actual community. Like people weren't, besides the, you know, being the butt of a lot of jokes about employment, um, there (laughs) was a lot of things that every art student shared or that we thought of consciously. I think there was a lot. So when I kind of got into that and started getting involved with that society, um, I start to you know my thought process was there's so much potential here to really engage people in a way I don't think they are being engaged you know in that sense in that the strength of the community and other things that I sort of thought of like I don't think we were engaging with the faculty staff as much as we could have been you know they they obviously wanted students to have a good time on campus as art students but I think there was you know I, I have a lot of thoughts as to how university and student life has progressed in the past ten years because I think it's change quite radically but I saw a lot of potential in my eyes about how I could help the arts community feel a bit more connected um, a bit more together and, and really I think be proud of who they are as art students one that back and without you know, going down that garden path but um my my yeah sort of selecting the societies that I wanted to be in was certainly sign up for as much as possible to know whatever whatever is going on and then use your, your your great wisdom that you have as a first year to sort of just stumble into the things that you really enjoy. And, of course, realizing that you're there for at least three years. I'm here at university for six years and there's always new things that I want to do or things that I want to change or different people I want to hang out with. So there's there's no lock in contract, you know, It's it's always up to you.
0: I love that. And I love the the freedom that comes with that idea of if you put yourself out there a little bit, which I think you're really encouraging in that article as well. If you put yourself out there and sign up for a bunch of things, maybe go along to a whole bunch of events. If you find yourself not wanting to go to an event, there's sometimes a really deep learning in that of like, okay, if I feel uncomfortable going to a networking event, or I'm pushing back from that, or I'm not interested in a certain society, to ask yourself kind of why you're not interested in that, there could be something there in terms of, I mean, I know for a while I was, I was involved in engineering clubs, but I didn't want to be involved in anything businessy. And yeah. when I look back on that, I realize like, I actually have this really negative preconceived idea of what business was. But yeah. now that we work a lot in the entrepreneurial space, I'm trying to bring arts and business together as much as possible because I think yeah. there's, a real, there's a really great synergy there. So there was something underlying in my resistance to certain events, even though when I went to some of the better events, I obviously got a lot of value out of that. Perhaps that's only something that in hindsight though you can do. For for you, let's let's dig into that leadership role as president of the Sydney Art Student Society. Mm-hmm. Now, gotta ask, because acronyms are a tricky one. Does anyone refer to it as SAS or is it always the Sydney Art Student Society?
1: Mate, completely. We are we are proudly the sasiest club at the Sydney University. <laughs> it is a key aspect of our brand that we that we rely on. Um, it's love- very,
0: very important. I love it. I can only assume an art student society is well into the artistic branding and all that sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Which is which is awesome. Looking back on that experience, because you've now you've now mm-hmm. finished that experience as mm-hmm. president. What was challenging about that role that perhaps you weren't expecting when you signed up or when you were voted in?
1: Interesting. I think I mean for for context, I think oh well, this kind of explains the challenge, but. As I mentioned before, when I came in as a first year, I sort of got a, got a, got a bit involved with the Arts Society. So sort of looking back, I was like, man, there's like, we have, you know, there's these inter-faculty weekly sport events, for example, that the university kind of organises, and every faculty has its own representatives. And, you know, law and engineering always had tons of people coming along and really good teams, and the arts, we struggled to get a full team together, honestly, in that first and second year. And I was, I was like, oh, my God, like, we have... We have the most people on campus by far. I'm sure there are athletes out there or at least people who want to, you know, throw a rugby ball around or something. But Mm -hmm. it was just that idea that people didn't know that the arts were around or that you could do that kind of thing. And so the greatest challenge, and and I sort of look back and one of the reasons, I, you know, obviously I think as well, one of the reasons you run um, is because you think you could add value, like you said, right, or contribute. And I sort of saw a big, big gap from what how the art society was being run in the past as to what I thought I could take it. And I think, you know, the the hopefully the, the legacy that I've left with the art society, which I think is going from strength to strength, sort of takes us on that path where we are just being very proud of, of who we are. So I think one of the greatest challenges was really sort of breaking down that stigma that firstly, that the art society was just for drinking. You know, it was one thing that I thought that we were you know, there are people who don't drink on campus, for example, or don't really like that culture. Of course, we still do massive events, and we have big parties and that kind of thing. But obviously, as well, catering to those, to all students as part of our community was a big challenge that, that I faced, but I was really proud of sort of taking on. Um, and, and that also, a key aspect of that was, that I made a joke about before, but you know, talking about career opportunities for art students, because it was, I think there was a lot of need for that discussion to be brought down to the student level rather than always at that kind of faculty academic staff about how they're always like oh how are we going to keep art students employed um I think we as students talked about it a lot like a joke in that context but I think when I talked to other art students it was a concern or a or, or consideration to people so introducing a bit more of a close relationship there was was a key challenge um I think but again with sort of an aspect of of what i wanted to achieve as the president and even you know starting those initiatives as vice president allowed that process to sort of go forward um i think as well in that context one of the greatest things that i find you know really really interesting about university societies is that we kind of chuck 18 19 20 21 22 year olds into these huge like these organizations that seem a bit small but once you're in there, they're actually they're quite large. Like you're dealing with, you know, I think our Facebook page is something like a couple of seven or 8,000 kind of people following it. We've got an arts faculty that has, I think, close to 10,000 students in it. Um, it's just sort of an incredible opportunity into how large that, that group is. Um, so obviously, a great challenge is to learning how to manage everything. And then at that time, as president, I think I had 15 people um, on the executive with me. Um, And managing that size of people as to all different sort of portfolios was also a challenge. So I think, you know, obviously the greatest things, I think for leaders and anybody who's sort of in that space already, one of the most exciting things is having new ideas and sort of going, oh, man, imagine if we could do this. And one of the hardest things is sort of converting that into an actual sort of add value implementation plan. My greatest challenge was bringing all these abstract ideas and also the abstract ideas and sort of from from the rest of my team into actual processes that could that we could see would would develop into something quite great at the end of it I was very fortunate as I said to have the vice presidential role and then the presidential role so I almost had you know the ideas that I sort of wanted to start with I had almost two years to develop and that made sure they were really really good by the end of it I think Um, but at the same time as president you had all those different roles and responsibilities that I thought I tried to take on and absorb and learn as much as possible. And that allowed me to be a better, not only a better leader in terms of, you know, my character as a person, but also deliver more um, for the community that I wanted to represent.
0: It's really interesting there, what you were saying about students who don't drink and career opportunities and things like that. It sounds like what you've done consciously or subconsciously is a, like a really entrepreneurial process around customer segmentation and customer journeys. So. When, it's, and it's really interesting when you're mm. saying, you know, we have these 18, 19 year old, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. We throw them into these roles. That's the whole reason I do what I do. Is like you've got these kids in these huge positions of leadership, and yeah. it's like in a professional world, in a working world, you would never give someone who's 19 responsibility for 15 direct reports, you know, a, a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar budget and yeah. seven, like you know, a thousand or ten thousand yeah. students or customers to serve, zero training, and just go, yeah. good luck. You would just throw them out there. Um, Whereas like what you've come in and and done is sort of said, okay, if we look at this population of students, a percentage of that pie chart don't drink. So for the people who don't drink and what we teach in like sort of value proposition canvas stuff is like for those people, what problems do they have and what ambitions do they have? You know, like their problems might Mm -hmm. be, I don't feel comfortable going to events where everyone's drunk because one, maybe I've never been drunk Two, maybe I've had a really bad experience with that. So that's why I don't drink. Or three, I just feel like I'm an out, I'm an outsider. So how do yeah. you get around that? Or their ambitions might be like, I've, you know, I come from a culture. We know a large percentage of students are from an international background. Come from a culture where drinking yeah. is very different. And I'm not against drinking. Maybe I, I want to socialise, but I also want to kind of learn how. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, we learn as I think Australia has a terrible culture around it, honestly. That we don't really ever like I, a lot of people. I don't know if we necessarily learn how to drink. I definitely didn't. It was like. Didn't drink until I was 18. Go to the pub, everyone celebrate your 18 and force drinks down your throat. <laughs> um, and my response to that, obviously, like this is I take full responsibility for my actions. So, like, I willingly accepted a whole bunch of drinks. How do you, as a student leader or any leader, look at the customers or students you serve, look at a particular segment who have a particular, like, cultural or contextual attribute? So, for this instance, not drinking. And then mm. say, OK, how do we serve them? Because we need to serve them. We need to think about serving them differently to the inherited culture that the society's had for the last 10, 20, 50 years, because yeah. it's it, it's not necessarily completely inclusive.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really, really, really good point. And I think and sort of tying it into what we we're talking about before as the, the challenges of, of being a leader in that position um, is the idea that. Although you're right that we had no training and that we're very, you know, young comparatively and, and you know, really we're we're potentially delivering services or, or you know community initiatives for people who are older than us, for example, and may have been around for longer. But the reason we're in those positions and the reason we put ourselves forward for those positions is because we do care, right? There is a passion there. Which totally. I think as compared to other leadership organizations, university societies are so special. Because they go to the damn, like the nichest interests of students. And they're the only reason that you're into the whole medieval society is because you really do love that medieval um, historical period, right? So, although you don't have the training, I think you have one of the best systems, you know, one of the best motivations that you can have in that position of just really caring about that community you're serving compared to sort of maybe big business or, or otherwise that maybe they're there because it's a it's a career goal and they don't really have that emotional connection so the, the key thing is really making sure that you build on that passion and you put that the level of pragmatism and sort of go okay now I do care what do I want to achieve how do I do it and why do I want to do it
0: and that's a yes. key thing I
1: think to answer your question there's I'm not sure I'm I assume you've, you've seen it all, all, all around but there's a TED talk and a book by a guy named Simon Sinek um, yeah, yeah yeah um and he talks about this uh this, this golden circle theory about what how and why and for me i think to answer your question that's the biggest thing how do you look at that segment of people you know there's you, you've identified a problem right? you've identified an issue and you sort of go okay i mean, i know i know there's a problem there i'm not sure what it is i'm not sure what to do about it but i know there's a problem and i think my first process is to go back to like i said the passion of why i'm in that position and for me you know it was about that arts community at University of Sydney exists, there are already people who identify as art students, and there is a society that is, you know, purpose-built to, you know, you know, to improve the lives of those students. And I don't think it was improving the lives of everybody. So to match those two together, we're looking at, well, why, how could their lives be improved? You know, so the, the why of what I'm doing is sort of going, well, I want to do this because... Yes. I want to improve the lives of everybody that is an art student, right? How am I going to do it? Well, how can I improve their, their lives? Now, maybe it was because they didn't feel comfortable going into social situations in bars, particularly, you know, it was just that bar scene where there is a alcohol being served. So can we run a social event that is outside of a bar, for example? Maybe it's on the lawns. Maybe it's in a classroom. Um, maybe it's, I know in a park somewhere, maybe it's more sport focused or that kind of thing. And potentially there are, you know, sports initiatives, like I said, that we are running that they're not being communicated with. So it is more just, again, improving that communication platform. So, uh, you know, it, I, I've convoluted the process, but as you can see, I think the way I sort of got around it. And for me, i I think I'm a bit fortunate because I think I've always kind of thought naturally like this, but yes, you know, it, it's the idea of you got to start with that. Why? And that is your motivation. That is your driving force. And that is what you understand more than anything because it's so emotional and sort of deep inside you. And as leaders, that's where your genuine and authentic leadership sort of values come from. And then you can start addressing the how and the what because I think if you start the other way around um, and you go, oh, here's a bunch of people who don't drink, what are we going to do? Well, we're just not going to serve alcohol at our events. You know, yes, it's some way that does sort of match, but you're actually going to find... The people who do like the alcohol and, and do drink responsibly and that kind of thing are not going to enjoy that. Not going to turn up. And if you're still holding those events at bars but you're not serving alcohol, the people that you the the problem sort of the, that stakeholder community that you're trying to help or empower isn't going to turn up anyway. And suddenly you've you know you've killed your, your initiative flat.
0: You don't yeah, get to go. the root cause of the problem there either. I think by asking yeah. why and it's funny you mentioned Simon Senek He's been brought up on the on this podcast before. Mm. Uh we'll we'll link his I'll put everything in the show notes. I'll link you to his TED talk. We actually teach we have a slide when we teach fundraising as one of the six modules that we teach to leaders. And how I teach fundraising is using the golden circle of like why, how, what. It's how I write fundraising messages, it's how I write emails, I teach all my teams that like this is effective communication. And if you start with a why, you have your own why. And in, in startup world, when you pitch a concept, one of the frameworks is literally using a why, how what pitch. Uh, yeah. A startup idea. It's like you know how I have this problem, which is your why. Well, what we do is this is the how. In fact, which is a what, which is like a little like hook at the end. So yeah. they're so intrinsically linked. And I think with student societies, if you're in a leadership role and you know why you're there and you have a vision for your leadership, which is kind of counterintuitive because sometimes you see a leadership as like this, what we we're talking about before, this position of power, where it's really it's like if you can reframe it and be trained to think of it as service then you come through that lens of why am i here what is the change i'm trying to make uh, in this population and then bring in that emotional intelligence to start informing the decision process to go okay if they don't want to drink why do they not want to drink and if or if they don't if they're not coming to this event why is that and i think if you dig into that three or four wires deep you get to a root cause and from there you can design your way out rather than seeing sort of a surface level problem and and doing the band-aid solution which is like all that stuff's at the top
1: absolutely absolutely yeah i mean it's about i i think i always relate it to to what i think is a problem in, in we'll go a bit global i guess here and the problem that i think exists in a lot of places is a lack of vision and in the idea that people don't really know which direction they want to go they know which direction they're heading and that's great but if they don't know where they want to go then it can be a lot of a harder position. I, I would love argue, that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would argue that everybody has the capacity to know where they want to go but sometimes they're afraid or they're anxious or really thinking critically about that um, and you know like we said like deep down people know why they put their hands up to be leadership of, to be leaders of, of university societies but in that journey they might forget or they might be blinded to, to why they did that in the first place. And that brings in the sort of the second greatest challenge, which I think is entitlement. Um, and for me, the way I phrase it, you know, in my own head, I guess, is the greatest, the, or the, really the only solution in my eyes towards entitlement, which I think is a very negative thing and can hold a lot of people back, is is a process of empowerment. You know, um, and the, I mean, there's layers and layers to that conversation. But I think bringing it back to leadership in societies and, and addressing those problems is really about starting with and understanding your vision and reminding yourself of that vision and, and which direction you want to head in and why you want to head in that direction. Um, and in that way, if you keep that at the forefront of your mind, you will find that you don't get into a position where you feel entitled to a position of power or authority. You don't take advantage of that position. And those solutions that and ideas that you or, or your teammates come up with are actually delivered in a better method or, or mode uh, and your ultimate vision is achieved and your, your goals are
0: achieved. Jacob, I love this. Entitlement, I always do a juxtaposition between entitlement and appreciation, but you've given mm. me a new one here between entitlement and empowerment. Can you dig into mm. that a little bit? Can, yeah. can you give <laughs> me an example of how could entitlement rear its real, very ugly head and how could that be changed through empowerment? Can you give me an example?
1: I mean, the, the the way, metaphorically, I think is the easiest way to explain this. I think, sure. like, I always think about, like, a lighthouse in the way, in the same way that we, as young people and as young leaders, we seek learning experiences through opportunities. Um, and learning is, is simply just shining more light on dark places that you didn't have an appreciation for, I guess, and using that sort of word. And entitlement, in my eyes, is simply... You know, tunnel vision or blinding yourself or or restricting that view because you get to a position of leadership let's say and through some ways or another or you know whether it's personality experiences or or whatever you stumble into a position and I think everyone sort of has realized in hindsight that they potentially were thinking of that position in a wrong way you blind yourself to, to the real reason why you're there and again like what we talked about before about service I think any good leader or any leader that genuinely wants to be in that position wants to serve a community um, in a position of, in Australia, I think we can drag it down to our context. You know, the tall poppy syndrome is a really, really big cultural, you know, I think barrier to a lot of, to a lot of uh, progression, I think, because so true. we have this tendency to sort of cut people down just because they are doing well. And there are, I mean, there are reasons for that. Like people get, do very well and the conversation about ego, about, you know, arrogance. And, and, you know, that's a conversation that I've been the subject of of for a while. I think anybody in that kind of in leadership positions often is. But the key thing is that I think entitlement in my eyes is leaders actually representing those negative values in the sense of, actually putting ego and their ego in front of the reasons they are there to serve, actually being rude and not courteous to even their teammates or, or the communities that they think or at least they purport to sort of represent. So I think in my eyes the the difference again is empowerment is a leader harnessing their own potential and the potential of their community to, you know, encourage and lift up um, everybody uh, and to improve their environment so that everybody who's a stakeholder in that environment is having a better time is having you know more fun or, or whatever kind of vision your specific society or, or leadership group wants to achieve and entitlement tends to blind leaders to that vision that they started off with and also it pushes away the very community members that you said you wanted to take care of
0: this I think this is the importance of starting off with leadership as service this is the importance of starting off with a why and when we're talking about Simon Sinek before I mean he has a he has a book not his most recent but maybe one before uh, that's titled leaders eat last and this Mm. idea that you're stepping up onto a platform solely for it to be a uh, a box that you can share your opinion from on top of yeah that will come back to bite you. And I, it's, I really appreciate how you were saying, you know, look, I've, I've been in this position before. My ego has been at the center of a conversation. Um, yeah. and, and in hindsight, leaders look back and realize maybe the reason they stepped up wasn't um, purely altruistic at the time, yeah. which is fine. I think you should be, I think part of the learning here is leaders realizing, becoming more self-aware and really learning about what does motivate them and having yeah. that conversation with themselves. Uh, but I've been in that exact same position. I've got into leadership roles before and shared on this podcast before where I look back and I was like, ah, I was, I wasn't there for the reason I was saying I was there. And I was kind of, tr- I was trying to trick myself into it. And I hadn't yeah. done the level of self work to really realize I have been partly successful in some areas because of being driven by this ego, but it's also come at a detriment. But now the work in leadership is like helping younger people realize there's a process to go through to be really honest with yourself so that when you do step up into these leadership roles, Mm. it's not about you it's about the others mm. and th- if you're if you use that platform i think to say to share the good work you're doing mm. but what you're sharing is how much you're helping other people not just mm. what you're getting out of it i think that's kind of the key and it's
1: yeah i, th- I think a, a key thing i'd also add is and th- th- what we're talking about is this level of sort of critical analysis as to why we're doing and, and, and why we're there i would also add that it's not just about you know, when you start off, when you nominate yourself for a position or, or something like that, I think it's also about that journey of leadership because it, it is the point to realize that at every single step of the way, you need to be reminding yourself because I think the, the ego conversation, the arrogant conversation or, or anything like that is almost a natural tendency because it's, I think it's a sign of apathy or, or laziness and you know, in, in a way, human weakness, you know, we, we do get to these positions of authority and power. I think they're all there's almost a natural tendency that we start things to start to become a bit more self-centered. And I don't think that's something you can completely get rid of, especially, you know, the, the kind of people that do put themselves up for these positions have to be uh, have a bit of, you know, I think you have to have a bit of ego. You have to be, you know, be willing to put yourself in front of people and say, I'm willing to. To be criticized or I'm willing to have scrutiny applied to what I'm doing because I have a vision for how we can improve the the certain community that that you're seeking to the key thing is and what makes great leaders versus those who I think you know maybe not so great or or even sort of failed in ways is an ability like we talked about before to keep vision and to keep your why at the front of every conversation and to keep those key values that we talked about of balance of service um, of, of empathy as well um, at 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 the at the, you at the forefront of your brain, and you'll find that those negative emotions or those negative thoughts that start to seep in, you know, you'll you'll hold them at bay essentially because, in my eyes, that is what strength of character really means, and that is what drives more than anything I think unites all all the great leaders that I look up to, is really a strength of character because they're not perfect and nobody's flawless, but they are able to have they've you know mechanisms or whatever, whether it's psychological or, or external, um, to keep the challenges of entitlement, of ego, of, of anything else at bay, because they put the idea of leadership as service and, as you said, leaders eat last, um, at, at the very you know foundation of of what they're
0: doing. To bring everything together, everything you've learned and shared really honestly and authentically, which I appreciate, I'm sure people are listening appreciate as well, you're now in a position of really significant leadership and always another hill to climb, as Mandela was saying. You're Mm -hmm. serving as one of the board directors at the University of Sydney Union. Mm -hmm. So if you were to look over the next six or seven months, what do you hope you will learn or develop as an individual over those six or seven months, knowing that you see leadership, as, as I do, I think we have a real values alignment there as, as service. And I'm sure when you look back on it, you'll think about all the ways that you've served and contributed as where you get that sense of like pride from. But for yourself, in terms of your own development, what do you think the next level up is in leadership for you in terms of skills or mindsets or knowledge? What would it look like for you to level up as a leader? Uh, I like the concept of leveling up. That's, that's interesting as a
1: leader in terms of improving myself there's always both internal and external i think uh that's a benchmark i'm looking for you know internally it's always about that inner character how can i be a better person how can i empathize more you know improve my emotional intelligence um and externally it's not just you know how can i you know improve implementation plans or or mission statements or, or understand those clearly but also you know, what communities am I also serving, you know? So I think that those are big kind of concepts, but to bring it down to your question in the next six or seven months, you know, I'm looking at expanding what communities I can contribute to. So I've, uh, I've started to get a lot more involved in the mental health space. But whereas before I was, you know, in high school, I ran sort of this, uh, with, with uh, mates from, from high schools this Depression Awareness Campaign that we were fortunate enough to sort of go to a national level. And in high school, uh, in university, sorry, um, I helped sort of restart the, the Mental Awareness and Health Society, which was great as just a, a, a forum for people to have those conversations. Um, building off the back of that, and I, I raised money when I walked um, the Kokoda Track last year as well for Lifeline. But building off those sort of bases, I was able to make sort of some connections people within the Lifeline organization Um, and I've been invited down to their office in Canberra uh, once before to be part of that conversation about how we impact you know on on a broader level so as a leader you know I'm hoping to seek those opportunities that I think can contribute to hopefully larger communities um, building on the the skills that I have and that I'm sort of constantly sort of working on Um, and at the same time as well I think in the next six or seven months Um, A key thing of any leader is your your legacy component. And where, I mean, that's where we really get into the crux of, you know, that ego conversation, I think, because Mm. some people can drive so hard to just make sure that, you know, their legacy is about their identity and their personality rather than the services that they're delivering. Um, But I also think it's the hardest thing of any leader to make sure that your skills as a leader are not over when your term ends uh, and to sort of think that you know in six months I am done with the USU um, I think is, is a bit false. Uh, I will not be a board director and I will not have any of the fiduciary obligations that I will have after that period um, and I'll be sad to, sad to go of course but I want to make sure that the initiatives or programs that I've contributed to continue uh, in a way that's healthy and, and serves the interests of the organization and its community members um, but also I want to make sure that the board directors that come after me hopefully learn the lessons that I've learned, because the only way, the same with the Art Society and what I do now, what I'm really proud of, is that compared to before I started, you know, and before the team that came with me uh, started that in the executive, where I thought there was a lot of room to grow for the Art Society, contributing to that development, and then now seeing it, you know, a year or two out from when I was the president, seeing that it's still growing, is the happiest thing that I can be with that. It wasn't when I was there, although that was great and I was happily contributing and serving, as you, as we say, seeing that it's still growing and still serving and is encouraging younger people who, you know, were, were first years or even when high school when I was the leader who want to take up the role that I had and grow it even further is brilliant. People often get, and this is one of the greatest sort of downfalls of entitlement, is they get offended when their successes or, or whatever change things or, or evolve things and you know that's those people have attached their identity to yes. that, that that group and, and that can be really dangerous because they're sort of somehow they've linked themselves too greatly to it rather than what you keep on coming back to which i love is about the leadership of service i am thrilled and over the moon when there are new ideas that come through SAS or even some of the initiatives that i ran that, that might not be running because as long as i know that those initiatives that are being run now are serving the community in a positive way. And so same with the University City Union, is that as long as the initiatives that I was a part of and and obviously have sort of come across my my involvement in the past year and a half continue to serve the members of the USU and the values that I hope that I have both instilled and in the organisation as well as the values that the organisation has sort of given me um, continue to to grow and, and evolve for both of us, then that's my, if if I can appreciate that at a greater level, then that's my level up,
0: I think. Awesome answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jacob, this has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. As soon as you answered that first question and just dropped in that leadership was service, which as you rightly say, we keep coming back to, I was just like a kid in a candy store and everything I was going to ask you kind of went out the window and I just started digging into that concept. So Mm. it's always really fun. For someone who's already achieved so much, it's going to be awesome to follow all the great stuff you're doing. And I think that that delicate interplay, which and I think this is the work, this is the the learning for leaders, is that interplay between ego and self-awareness and service and figuring out where you fit with that and where are you on that journey and knowing that none of us have it all together. We're all working yeah. on it. The top CEOs of companies read books about it, go to conferences about it listen to podcasts about it because they're trying to develop this as well. And I think tying that together is that, I I think it's Steve Jobs, as his quote around like, only people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. If you have an idea, if there's a change you want to make, if you believe that you want to help people through a club or society uh, by starting a fundraising campaign, by raising awareness around mental health, then do it and find people to help you but the humility to know that you won't be able to do it necessarily all alone and that empowering a team to bring them up with you is giving other people the chance to lead and other people the chance to feel what it's like to help others is a really beautiful gift
1: yeah i think i think yeah you're spot on the money and the final thing i'll add is is this sort of concept that i've come across the idea of you know for me the key to life is not necessarily searching for inspiration but being inspirational Um, and that that sounds like there's there's levels to that but the idea is as you said you know, change the world is, is one step at a time of which only you can really take part in. But I think, you know, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you for, for inviting me and, and having me on and your, com- your questions were, were phenomenal. But also what you are doing with this podcast and everything else that you do, I think is, is inspirational um, completely and, and really you are going to, to the extra lengths to, to empower the leaders that you, that you seek out and you come across. So um, a big thank you to, to you, not just on my behalf, but to everybody that you've helped along their journey.
0: Uh, Jacob that means the world to me my friend and hopefully in the new year at some point we're not yet at University of Sydney I'm sure we will be soon when we are on campus it'd be awesome to meet up with you and potentially even chat to some students together I think they get a lot of value out of hearing your story so for everyone who hears the podcast that's going to be awesome uh, we only just briefly touched on mental health knowing that's a big thing if people are listening and they're interested in that facet um, I'll link a whole bunch of resources that Jacob shared recently on his LinkedIn about his work with mental health and the organizations that he's worked with. So if you're interested, you can check that out. You can also check out uh, the 2017 Northern Territory Young Australian of the Year, Bridie Duggan, was one of our first guests. And just recently, Zach Bryers was the 2018 ACT Young Australian of the Year, both really involved in mental health. So their previous podcasts On The Campus Experience, you can go check them out, listen to them, learn all about that world. Jacob, if people are listening and they want to follow along with your journey, where do you share what you do? Is LinkedIn a good place for people to go? Are you an Instagrammer? Do you have a Fire Snapchat (laughs) account that no one knows about? Like, how can people follow what you're up
1: to? I think LinkedIn's the best place to start. Um, Instagram as well. And I mean, I'll shoot you the links, Josh. You can you can link those in the description as well um but uh yeah no that's that's the only places and i mean i'm always a big fan of i'm trying to get a lot more into writing things so stay tuned in terms of potentially a few articles coming out about just things that i'm thinking of um but those all go through the the platforms i already mentioned
0: awesome and when they come out let me know and i'll share and push everything out to all the listeners of the podcast
1: appreciate it mate thank you
0: awesome jacob thank you for your time it's been awesome thanks josh how great was jacob It was incredible to have him on the podcast, and I want to reflect on three quotes that he mentioned in this episode. The first is, the ultimate question is balance. As we lead into the Christmas period, which is just 10 days away from our time of release, what are you doing to find balance in your life? If you were to look at the different elements of your life as four different metaphorical buckets, your emotional health, your mental health, your physical health, and your spiritual health, and you were to rate those buckets on a zero to five scale, five being the best and zero being the lowest. Where do you score across those four? Maybe pause this episode and take a moment to do that activity. And if you want to top up your lowest bucket, what's something you could do? What's something you could do to increase your physical energy? Or what about your mental energy, your emotional energy, or your spiritual energy? The second quote I want to pull out of this episode is when Jacob said, Google Calendar is my Bible. Now, I can really relate to that because I live by my Google Calendar. So if you go to Apple Podcasts and check out the show notes, or go to the website, I'll be sharing my Google Calendar that I recently shared on LinkedIn about six weeks ago. It breaks down a whole week as well as the hours that I allocate to different activities. And you can see in real life, how I color code the different activities in my life. Now, this isn't a perfect system, but it's one that's given me so much more clarity on what I can focus on and how I can manage my energy as I was alluding to before. And finally, Jacob said, the only solution to entitlement is empowerment. With Campus Consultancy, that's exactly what we strive to do. If you're a university student a university leader or a faculty representative and you'd like to see our programs on your campus empowering your leaders in 2019 please reach out you can find me on linkedin by typing in josh farr or looking up the campus consultancy page and reaching out thank you so much for listening into this episode and i hope you're enjoying the series this is our 14th episode so far and we've got even more coming your way in 2018 before the year's out You can check out previous episodes by going to www.campusconsultancy.org forward slash podcast. We hope you're enjoying this series and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.